All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, thank you to Matt Walsh. We now know what a woman is, but do we know what a man is? Well, we're going to be answering that all important question today, but more than that, we're also going to be addressing this whole concept of toxic masculinity. And if there's such a thing as toxic masculinity, is there such a thing as good masculinity? Is is the idea of being a real man still a thing in America or society at large? And if it is, what do those characteristics include? All that and more coming up on this episode. There's been some pushback against this common narrative going around, and we're going to discuss that today. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Making the Argument. I hope you'll go to the description of this podcast and join us in Volley. We would love to discuss this further with you there, and thank you again for joining us. All right, as always, your host, Nick Freitas, member of the House of Delegates, and man. Also with us, my beautiful bride and woman, Tina Freitas, Queen of the Bees. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what a man is. I, I kind of just know what when I see one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have our resident historian, political prognosticator, also man, Christian Hines. Really? I, I didn't know that. I well, was hoping to learn something new today. Um, <laughs> Christian no, Hines, I, they, them. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, our producer of producers, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking, also a man, allegedly. We're, we'll find out I'm today. pretty certain about that, but thank you, Nick, for having <laughs> oh, me. Oh, you're not also they, them? We will yeah, he's, find he's, he, out him. today. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I apologize for assuming all of your genders, except for yours, honey. It's okay. <laughs> what is a man biologically? Well, we went to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and it says uh, a man is an individual human, an adult male human. I love this. So definition of man, <laughs> entry one of four, right? It says an individual human. And then it's under that it says, especially an adult male human. Like, what else would it be? <laughs> like, an individual human is a man? Like, this is... Well, okay. No, 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 no. In their defense, when we use phrases like mankind... Yes, yes. Yeah, so that, the, that's the royal, what it is. Yeah, that's yeah, what it's royal. getting to. Yeah, okay, maybe. Maybe not. See, once upon a time, we could have easily said that, and there would have been no question whatsoever. I mean, that's now, immediately now what I thought. Now we've got to wonder. Well, you've just got a good heart. Anyway, all right, so basically it's an adult male human, so that's good to know. All right, but what is masculinity? Let's look at that one. All right, next definition, Merriam-Webster. Masculinity, the quality or nature of the male sex, the quality, state, or degree of being masculine or manly. Can I just say... I hate it when dictionaries use a word to define the word. <laughs> so I, I actually posted something the other day where it did. I posted it right out of the dictionary. And someone was like, hey, flashback to third grade. You can't use. I said, great. You should call Oxford because I'm not the one that came up with this. But yeah, no, it, it, it is. That's why they, they did the whole manly thing. Now, so that, now, now the question is for the completely illiterate fool that has no idea what we're talking about and is still questioning what a man is or what a woman is like. 
then now you need to well, define well, what masculine Christian, is. Christian, it's a good thing the podcast doesn't stop right now after reading this definition. We're actually going to go over and some roll of credits. We're going <laughs> to. <laughs> well, we answered yeah, that. Thank you for joining us on this episode. All right. So, again, the quality or nature of the male sex, the quality, state, or degree of being manly. All right. So what exactly does being manly mean? Well, there's a lot of people right now that are actually talking about this. And there's there's been some some productive conversations taking place. There's been some, I think, horrible conversations. And then there's been some real mixed bag type conversations. Yeah. So like Jordan Peterson has obviously brought this up. He's talked a lot about being a dangerous man. He's talked about other concepts of like taking responsibility, finding meaning, et cetera. And a lot of that has been very, very appealing, especially to young men. Um, and, but I would say men of all ages, but then you've also got kind of the other like social media sensation, Andrew Tate, and he's had his kind of his own version of what it means to be a man. And there's been, I will say there's been some stuff he said where I've like, all right, that makes sense. There's been other stuff where I've been like, yeah, I don't know about that, man. All right. So we're going to, we're going to just, we're going to discuss all the day and we kind of, I'm breaking it down into three categories. Okay. Where are we going? Three categories. The first one is protection, the ability okay. to protect. I, I think this is a core critical function of what it means to be a man. Do you think this coincides with Jordan Peterson's dangerous men? Yes. Comments? Okay. I, I Why do. is that? Because ultimately, and this this is something where we get into um, kind of a sociological aspect, and, and I think again, I, I won't speak for how you know women feel when they go out, but I, I will say that when if if a man goes when a man goes out into public or a man is you know meeting new people especially if you go into an environment where like let's just say a bar right sure. let's say you, you take your girlfriend out to a dinner or you take him out to a bar or take her out to a bar or grill whatever it is um we we still i think most of us still kind of think that okay i i'm taking my my girlfriend my fiance my wife out um to an area where something dangerous could happen i have a responsibility to protect her sure and I, I also think there's a difference between the way that I, I, in in your typical exchanges, I think men are a lot more conscientious of the potential of violence within a situation, um, in part because we might have to engage in it. And it, as much as I think we like to pretend that, oh, we're just, we're just far more civilized now and that's not really necessary. And in fact, I had a case once where I was, there was a, I was talking to a woman. She was got engaged. I was telling her how great marriage is, how great raising kids are, and stuff like that. And I was talking, you know, you know, I'm raising my son. You know, he needs to be able to, you know, protect and 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 she goes, oh, we don't subscribe to those traditional gender roles. I said, oh, okay. So well, can I ask you a question? Yeah, you and your fiance leave, you know, your dinner up here in Washington D.C. You leave dinner, and as you're walking back out to the parking lot, a guy jumps out with a knife. Now, in one of these scenarios, your fiancé jumps in front of you and puts himself in between the attacker and you. And in the other scenario, he hides behind you. <laughs> in which scenario are you more attracted to your fiancé? And she looked at me and smiled. She goes, well, that's not fair. I said, okay, well, fair or not, you're the one that just indicated that you know, what, right. you know what's true when it really comes down to brass tacks. right? It, it's, it's all nice to pretend that in this world where nothing bad happens – you know, oh, and men don't have to fill that role. But as soon as something does, as soon as something bad does happen, you want him to be able to fulfill that role. Yeah. You're attracted to him when he can fulfill that role. And guess what? That's not some ar archaic social construct. Okay, that, that's built off of millennia's worth of experience. 
And the fact that while technology can change, while social norms can change, there's still things inherent within human nature, right? Different people have different ex- explanations right. for it. In, in Christian faith, we refer to it as, as the sinful nature that people are always going to have to contend with. And if you, are, if you are exclusively betting on the idea that you as a man will never have to be in one of those awkward positions or potentially dangerous positions, you're setting yourself up for failure. And when you take on the responsibility of being a husband or a father, you're now subjecting other people to a vulnerability. And, and you can't just, you can't just um, delegate that responsibility to protect your family out to the government. Right. Oh, it's not my responsibility. The cops will be here. Okay, so again, you're in the parking lot. Guy jumps out with a knife, threatening your your girlfriend, wife, fiance, kids, whatever it is. Is your response going to be like, okay, well, we're just going to wait here for the police? No, you you might have to act. So understanding that regardless of what society might want to tell you, what might, you know, little trends might want to throw out there, understanding that you do have a responsibility to be able to protect the people that you care about. Right. It is a is a core component of I would say of being truly masculine. Do you think every man should have the ability to be physically violent and when necessary, be prepared for that, physically able to do that? Yeah, I do. And and, and again, this is some people look at this and be like, okay, well, how are you gonna be physically violent? Like I'm okay, I'm five ten. I'm I'm about I'm five ten, I'm about two hundred and five pounds. Right. Tina's looking at me like two hundred and five. Okay, maybe two ten. Anyway. <laughs> The point is, is that I'm, I'm not a huge guy, right? There's a, there's a lot of people out there bigger than me. There's yeah. other people out there that are smaller than me. When I say you need to be prepared to protect, that doesn't, need, that doesn't mean that you have to be on the same level as some dude in the MMA, right? That, that's, that's not going to happen for most of us. It doesn't have to be by yeah, brute no, force. No, yeah. no, none of us here at this table are doesn't have to be doesn't have to be by brute force, um, but it does mean you have, to be, you have to be willing to assume responsibility for their protection, to engage in danger, and, and again, and this is also something that, you know, we, we've pointed out before kind of in the, in the Christian worldview when it comes to what is, what is male leadership involved within the institution of marriage, you have to be willing to lay down your life for your wife and kids, for your family. Right. Um, and if you're not prepared to do that, mentally prepared to do that, then you're, you're not ready to be married. Yeah, you don't deserve a family. <laughs> and, and if you don't, and if you don't, and if you, let's say that mentally you are prepared to do that, well, then you should assume the responsibility for on some level being physically prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. And again, there's, there's a lot of ways to protect. Some of it is just being wise and smart about where you go, where you go. Right. And what, what or some of it could be just into. being really good with a firearm, being really good with the firearms, the great equalizer, yep. firearms, the great equalizer. So, but I, I think that protection part is really important. Okay. See, I, I'm going to push back on you because I've been told by society that it's, it's actually um, being an oppressor is is the first uh, category that defines it's toxic it. to assume that <laughs> I, yeah. I actually um i i i've got a question um yeah. that that can lead us into um some of these other questions that i know are coming and Chris, before you do that i want to ask tina one quick question yeah yeah go ahead oh. tina what are your thoughts on dangerous men and uh men being able to have the capability of violence and danger uh, but in a restricted manner. Um, I think it's absolutely purposeful. necessary. I, I don't think that it's an attractive feature to have a man that that you're not really sure what he's going to do or whether or not he can handle himself or, or protect you. I, I don't like that. It doesn't mean that I think that somebody needs to 
as I was saying before, it doesn't need to be a brute force thing. Right. Um, I just think that it needs to be someone that is sure that they can handle a situation and, um, and keeps a cool head when, when things do get really bad. So I'll tell you this much about my husband is that, you know, if the printer doesn't print right (laughs) and it's, it's not working out and it's not doing its job. That is when Nick will kind of lose it. That's when he loses Nick, his. Do you cool. have any printer hold stories? Hold on, oh I, I'm telling you about Nick's toxic masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about it. No, I'm kidding. There are toxic. There are what I would consider toxic traits that men are more prone to, but there are also toxic traits that women are more prone to. So, um, I'm not necessarily talking about that. But what I'm saying, when a man loses his cool, or uh, gets overly angry, or or whatever about um, a printer, you know, let me just say, I you, have- You kick one printer. You I have, kick one printer, which by the way, I thought was coming at my family in a violent manner. <laughs> he was protecting us was from, protecting the, from printer. the printer. I have a printer-shaped hole in the wall. Well, actually, we fixed that. <laughs> wow. I've never even oh heard my this gosh. This, is, this makes it sound so much worse than it actually okay, was. Okay, so, so here's my point. It's not like I threw it through a brick wall or something like here's that. Here's my point. When it's something- excuse me, when it's something small that is just really, really frustrating, like a printer not working or a piece of electronics glitching or whatever it is, he definitely shows that side that is is, uh, super angry. However, when something really, really, really like severe happens and it's something where, you know, you would think he would just fly off the handle, he will get super calm. Um, if there's a situation where there's an element of danger or, or, um, something where something really bad has happened and somebody might be prone to panic like me, um, he'll be incredibly calm Mm -hmm. and he'll just keep his head about him and know exactly what to do. Step, 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 and take care of the situation every single time. So if it's something mild, like the printer, then he might lose it a little bit. Oh my but God, if it's like, something really big. Nick, let me say that when I first heard that you had thrown a printer through a wall, my, I didn't my, throw my, a my respect a level wall. did go up for you a little bit. <laughs> I did not. Throw, okay, just so we're clear. And Printers are infuriating. We yes, can all yes, accept that. Yes. Printer, and, yeah. all, and, and I no, I didn't pick up. I didn't throw a printer. I he kicked it. I walked over. I was sitting around. I'm sitting here and it's like, you know, oh, you don't have enough scion. I'm like, I don't need scion. I'm printing black and white. I don't need scion. I don't, I don't even know what scion <laughs> Just is. Just do What's your cyan? job. Just do your job, right? And this thing will not print, and I need it to print. So I spun around in my chair, and I kicked it, right? I didn't think I kicked it that hard. But the thing was, is it was perfectly stationed on the wall in between two studs. So just like it was all, all it was was drywall. It just drywall. imprinted. So like poop, and I'm like, oh crap! <laughs> and I like he, slowly moved the printer. He back He brushes out. off the Tina drywall not, from the edges. <laughs> Tina did not know that happened for about a year, and then we were like moving stuff around. She goes, "What why happened is, to the wall? Why is there a printer shaped hole in the like, wall?" I don't, I don't know. That's printers. So and I the mean, printer I, still worked. I couldn't believe it. I've I've done. I mean, I I've destroyed my printer once in college, but that's a whole other story. But um. That getting back to the whole like toxic masculinity part, which, yeah. which I know I know that you kind of deconstructed that a little bit. The question that I've got, and this is also open to Tina as well, is why does it feel like that that is a narrative that's being pushed on people, especially on men and younger men too? That yeah. that there's there's something that's inherently wrong with you. 
and you know you have to discard it it's it, the, the fact that they call it m- toxic masculinity rather than like aggressiveness yeah. or or you know certain behaviors that it, I, I i think part of the problem is the way that that this has been framed but yeah. i also think another part of the problem is the broader narrative itself that's being pushed not just simply a choice of words no, so, I, so I, why i mean again that's an open question because to both because you, you have been i think you you i mean obviously we have whenever you hear about domestic violence you don't automatically assume that it was the woman that beat up the man yeah right because most cases that's not the case and because regardless of what people want to say right now you know, when we when we look at the the population um, as a whole, typically speaking, biologically, men are stronger than women. Yeah, men men have the ability to use physical force in an aggressive manner in order to get what they want in a way that most women do not. And so th- that's a there there is a huge um, potential for abuse there. And so obviously, when when you're if you were saying if toxic masculinity was being more, in fact, they shouldn't call it masculinity. They should say like this is a toxic trait, or this is you know um, aggressive, violent behavior that is you know abusive or tyrannical or whatever it is. N- nobody would have a problem with it. But I think what it comes down to is that to to suggest that most men don't have at least some understanding that they're going to be the ones predominantly responsible for violence within society. Now, I don't mean that. From the standpoint of like committing acts of crime, you, that shouldn't be the case, although it typically is. Most violent crime is performed by men. However, most of the people engaging in the violence to stop violent men is also engaged by men. right? So it, if, if we can identify something that is present for millennia, right? now one attitude could be like, oh, well, the problem is men. The, pr- the problem is violence in men, and we need to get rid of violence in men. Well, the problem with that is that, okay, if you don't completely eradicate it, what do you end up with? You end up with bad men knowing how to conduct acts right. of violence and good men not knowing how to conduct acts of violence. And the end result is is we're all plowing fields for the bad men. So the, I, I think the, the appropriate approach to that would be to say, okay, we understand that biologically there's, there's a trait here. There's a, there's a consistent trait that we see over time and space. So the question is, is how is it going to be molded in such a way to where it's used to defend and protect the innocent as opposed to exploiting them? And and the only and again I, I don't see any other mechanism here sh- this side of heaven right I don't see any other mechanism this side of heaven unless we have good men that are willing to stand up and be dangerous on the side and I by that I also mean from a physical violence standpoint that are are under that understand and are capable of of committing acts of violence at the appropriate time under the appropriate conditions in order to protect people yeah that that ends up becoming that ends up becoming the positive side of that masculine trait there's also a negative side of that masculine trait what's interesting is that there's been this focus on toxic masculinity i could add the word toxic in front of femininity i could yes. add it in front of anything because in in each one of these cases when we talk about being a real man or being manly or whatever there's negative attributes associated with that there's positive attributes associated with that and most of them are the same attributes attributes but applied differently interesting and so like, true. give I, me an example of same attribute applied differently violence so if, if if i if i have the capacity so i already have the capacity for violence which is which is you know statistically speaking going to be more than half of the population right because okay if i'm an average sized man then i am going to by nature be stronger than the average sure. sized woman so i already have the ability to do that i already have the ability to, to use physical force in order to achieve something. I've got a I can then I can I can I can um, train that toward the protection of people that do not have the capacity to defend themselves in the same way. Or I can train that in a way to oppress the people 
that don't have unsafe. So the violence is the attribute. The capacity okay. for violence is the attribute. The positive manifestation of that is I have, it, rather than saying, oh, I'm going to completely reject that and get rid of it and pretend it doesn't exist, I'm going to recognize that it's there and then I'm going to train it toward the good, right? Or I'm going to recognize that it's there and I'm going to use it for the bad. So same attribute, Hamilton, different manifestations. To, uh, to add to what Nick just said, an another way that you can go about looking at this is, and I think you and I have actually briefly talked about this um, just between us, is uh, another way to look at it is leadership. Um, mm -hmm. That is a, if you think about it, that's a neutral term. Mm -hmm. um, there's yeah. there's plenty of people throughout history. Being a great leader does not necessarily mean that you're a great person. Yeah. Um, there's or plenty of people person. or a good person. There's yeah. plenty of people. Leadership is is an inherently morally neutral term. Yeah. It could be used if you're a fantastic leader. It could be used towards great good. Yeah. George Washington was a great leader. Mm -hmm. um, you know, many of our founding fathers were great leaders. But that doesn't. There's plenty for every George Washington. There's also people. Hitler. Yes. <laughs> there's there's a Hitler. There's a Stalin. There's yeah. People like, you know, a Julius Caesar, there's, and, and if you take the moral, you know, lens out of it and you look at the actions that these people did in getting thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people to follow them, it's really hard to argue against them being a great leader, mm -hmm. even though you can easily say that many of these people were evil, horrible, terrible, despicable beings mm -hmm. that committed atrocities. And so like, I, I mean, in many ways, I would also put like leadership in that in that same category that falls into one of those traits that is neutral. It depends on how you use that trait for positive or good. And so no, no, to, I, to your point with the masculinity thing, there's plenty of traits that that we would categorize as being positive traits if they're used towards good. But I would submit, though, that there is an element in society that wants to paint all violence as negative. All yeah, violence yeah. is negative. There is no good outcome for violence. I, I even saw there was a film years back where somebody was they were fighting they were fighting these um, these people that were coming in and uh, trying to take their village or whatever it was. And they were having this whole moral quandary over whether or not they had the right to defend themselves yeah. using violence. And it was insane to me the idea that, like, that somebody thinks they don't have the right to defend themselves well, or defend them, their family. Gandhi, Gandhi suggested this, and, and Bertrand Russell, who was a secular atheist philosopher in England, said the only reason why Gandhi's strategy worked is because he was doing it against a, a country which was essentially committed to Judeo-Christian values. If Gandhi had done that toward Hitler, Hitler would have saved him the trouble of a, you know, starving himself. Right. Be because, again, what, what is the manifestation? What, what is the underlying moral principle which is informing the attributes or the traits that you're then going to develop? And what's interesting is when Peterson, and this kind of leads me to my second point, when, when Peterson talks about dangerous, he doesn't just mean physically dangerous. He also means dangerous in the form of competence. Right. And this goes into what I think is the, the second component. Can, can I ask a quick question before we go into the second yeah. component? If any of our listeners, let's say, grew up in a house where violence was never... It was always discouraged, was not something that was trained for physical ability, whatever, and are now getting to the age of wanting to get married and have a family and want to be able to serve that role of protection. What do you think the first steps are in gaining that ability and becoming competent in being dangerous? So this is, <laughs> I had a, um, you know, a, um, a, a family uh, that Tina and I are really good friends with. Um, one of their sons, um, as he was getting ready to graduate high school, he was talking to me. He's like, Nick, I, I, I want to go into the Army. 
and I'd like to do what you did. I'd like to be a Green Beret. And so we got, I explained to him what Green Berets did, what their function was, asked him if, and then I explained the function of other things within the service and to see what, what he really wanted to do, what really appealed to him. Yeah. And he goes, no, he goes, I, w- I want to be a Green Beret. And I said, have you ever been hit in the face? And he said, nope. I said, all right, we're going to go over to my buddy's gym. We're going to put the pads on. I'm going to hit you in the face, man. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, okay. I said, here's why. Um, the first time you get hit, the first time you confront violence, you don't want it to be in an uncontrolled situation. Yeah. You want it to be in a controlled situation where the, where the person that is met, you know, uh, meting out the violence is not doing it because they want to harm you. Right. It's because they want to prepare you. And because that first time you get hit, there's something that happens in your mind. This is why we call it the fight or flight instinct. And what's interesting is that for, for most people, that, that flight instinct is what initially triggers. Um, the fight instinct usually comes in either when the stakes are so high, like it's something you, you love or you're defending or someone you love or defending. The other side comes in is when you've been trained. And so it's like when I get hit, my reaction is not flight. When I get hit, my reaction is this. And learning that in a, in a controlled, trained environment with people that know what they're doing. And I mean, again, and, and again, are not there to harm you, but are there to help you. That, right. That's, that's a key component, just like on a basic, on, on a basic physical level. It's, it's very unfortunate though, that you felt the need to break the first rule of fight club <laughs> by giving it. that definition. But, but no, I, I did that. And look, you know, he, um, he ended up going off to the army, went off to special forces, is, is now a member of Fifth Special Forces Group. He's deployed overseas. I got to tell you that I was terrified when he, when he first deployed. I was like, man, you, you, you got to come back unharmed because I'm not going to be able to explain to your mother how like, I encouraged you in this. But, um, but, but yeah, he's seriously tough now. Oh, dude, dude's a monster, man. Dude, and, and, a, and a great in a guy. Good way. And a good yeah. guy. Um, but again, that's so... That's one of the ways to do it is you can train. MMA is a great way to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know, basic stuff that you can learn. One of the great things about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, too, is that there's a huge what I call asymmetric component of Brazilian Mm jiu-jitsu, which is to say, or MMA, which is like if you're not the biggest guy, there's other ways to win. Yeah. You know, in a, in a physical altercation. And then the other thing, too, is learn basic things like how to how to safely handle and use a firearm. That's that's huge. I, I think an interesting point here is that firearms trainers will tell you that if you have trained before on the range, wherever, and then you get into an altercation where you have to use that firearm, you will sink to the lowest level of training you've ever had yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And so I think that that correlates with what you're discussing with Brazilian jiu-jitsu and being in that you know situation. Yeah, I, I think so. So prepare yourself physically. Prepare yourself again using available tools that are out there. Here's the other thing I would say too: when, once you become a, uh, you know, not just a husband as a father, this is not some. This is not a role that you take on exclusively from the standpoint of okay, this is my job. Everyone else be weak. Right. No, like Tina knows how to shoot. Tina knows how to she shoot does. really well. All of my kids know how to shoot. They do really well. I've seen it. Uh, I know my youngest, my youngest daughter, one of her favorite things to do when we were uh, on the campaign mm-hmm. was, you know, we, we all went over to the house and we had kind of like a campaign shoot day and whatnot. And Allie was like 12 at the time. So she's got a little pigtail. She runs and goes, do you, do you want to have a shooting match? And, oh, yeah, sure, sure, let's do that. And then she just cleans everybody's clock. <laughs> she just, <laughs> She's a crack shot. She, take, she takes great pride in doing that. But that also adds a level of, of confidence that, okay, you know, you know, Allie, who's probably never going to be in a position where she can, like, physically defend herself against, you know, you know the, the average man out there. Like, she can do some things. But, but she has confidence that because she knows how to use a firearm and she knows how to use it responsibly, 
um, there's there's no place she shouldn't be able to go where she feels that she can take ownership of her own you know uh, personal safety and security. Yeah. Or that of her family. You know, I mean, Tina had to do that. I was gone a lot. I was deployed a lot in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it doesn't matter if your husband's a Green Beret, you know, if he's, you know, 3,000 miles away, yeah. you know, overseas. Yeah. So. I made up in my mind that, that, you know, if if I had to call 911, it would be to inform them, <laughs> not for help. I mean, it's worth, I, I actually really like that point because... Like the the firearm thing, firearms really are like the great equalizer. Yeah, they are. And all of this, and all this discussion about masculinity or, or gender in general, like it's worth noting that one of the biggest reasons that we support gun rights, yeah. us on the right, is because we want people to be able to defend themselves against a stronger attacker. Yeah. Well, let's go into that second part. Absolutely. Provision. And, and again, Peterson also talks about too when he talks about like why should you be dangerous, and he means because you'll be formidable, you'll be confident. This actually. Right. And, and this opens up the question that I've got for you for this segment about providing. Okay. In the age of firearms yeah. that are, as I just said, the great equalizer, yeah. what need is there for men to still be the ultimate provider? Like nobody's out there hunting buffalo on the plane anymore, right? And so the, those traits of yeah. men, this is more of a rhetorical question, but it's yeah, something yeah, that yeah. I've heard a lot. And I'd love for your take on this. The certain traits that men have in terms of being physically stronger don't necessarily well, give we, you an advantage mean, in an office space. No, no, no. I don't. I don't mean prevent. Well, okay. I mean it let does. Me, let, me, let me let me let me say something about that. Um, I, I think it's great that we live in a robust free market economy where we have what we call specialization and division of labor, which is to say, it doesn't make sense for all of us to be out there growing food, right? If one person can grow food well enough to feed three hundred people. Let that dude grow the food and let everyone else do stuff that they're really good at. And that's what that's how you maximize abundance, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> when I say provision, I'm not talking about the classical sense of, you know, all right, you stay here in the kitchen and I'm going to go hunt the buffalo and hopefully I don't get killed, right? <laughs> right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about providing for one's family in an, economics, in an economic sense. And here's what I would say on that. Again, if you're a man and you are getting ready to take on the responsibility. You'll notice a lot of the masculine traits I talk about are in direct relation to not just being an individual man, but a husband and a father. Yeah. If you're going to take on that responsibility, first of all, you should be able to provide for yourself. Right? That's the first step of being a man. I'm sorry, but if you're in a position where you are completely dependent on everybody else to take care of you, that's a problem. I, I, that is not a masculine trait, in my opinion. That defines many men that are in Hamilton and I. And it, well, not only that, but it's it, what, the reason why I say the reason why I say it, it takes away from your masculinity is because you're now dependent upon others to provide for you. Yeah. Right. You're you're still maintaining you're still maintaining this kind of like quasi position of like childhood or adolescence. Okay, that's not being a man. Being a man means you can provide for you. And then once you take on the responsibility of being a husband or being a father, I believe that you have to go into it with the mindset that it is your responsibility to be able to economically provide for your family. Now, does this mean your wife you know, can't work if she really wants to work? No, of course not. Does it mean she can't pr- pursue a career? No, not. it doesn't mean any of those Does it things. mean she can't make more money than you? Yeah, it doesn't mean she can't make more money. But I, I do think what it means is, is that your mindset has to be that at the end of the day, it's still your responsibility, and you can't delegate that responsibility. Um, so when it, when it comes down to 
you know, so let's say that she's doing great and she's got a great job and she's making more than you and you're still doing your thing and you guys, and then all of a sudden she loses her job. You don't get to look at her and be like, well, now what are we going to do? <laughs> this is all your fault. Yeah, you don't get to do that. <laughs> you don't get to do that. And, and again, some people will say, well, can she do that to you? You know what my answer is? Yes, she can. And, and I'm not saying that she should do it in a, in, a, in a realm of like disrespect, but you as a man have to go into it with the mindset is that at the end of the day, it is my responsibility to provide for my wife and children. It's my responsibility to my own detriment if, if required. Like I go hungry before they go hungry. He's all, it is funny because you are always the last one to get your food at dinner time. <laughs> it's like a weird. <laughs> I think I think you have that mindset even when it comes to getting dinner, because if there you know if there's not enough, you'll be the one uh, last to not get whatever it is. Well, and, but part of that too is, and and this this is part of you know provision. It's part of all of this really. And, and you see a lot of people talking about this right now. Motivation versus discipline. Right. Right. Well, you got to find a way to motivate yourself. There's going to be times where you are not motivated about doing what you have to do. That's where discipline kicks in. And discipline is formed by discipline is, is a habit. You, you create certain positive habits over time. So when it comes to things like provision or when it comes to things like, you know, okay, why do I eat last when there's no real need for me to necessarily eat last? Or why do I get my food last? We eat together, but why do I get mm -hmm. my food last? Because it, it's part about creating a mindset. It's also about demonstrating to you. It's about demonstrating to my kids that my priority is to make sure that they're provided for. Because one day Luke's going to be a husband and father. You know, one day, you know, Lily's going to be a wife and mother. Allie's going to be a wife and mother. Um, setting, up, setting up certain habits that always remind you of what your role and responsibility is. And then, and then taking an element of... Um, Pride's not the right word for it, but, you know, ownership of that. And then conveying that to your kids through your actions, not just what you tell them. That's why, that's why some of these things are done. It's, mm -hmm. not, just, it's not just purely symbolic. Um, and, and again, I, I go back to this whole idea of, it, I really believe that if, if part of being a man is being able to provide. And, and that'll look different. Some, for some people, that's going to be computer programming. For some, for other people, it's going to be you know, you know, fighting in the octagon, right? Whatever you choose, I'm not. I'm not saying it's got to be one thing or another. I'm just saying that it, it has to exist, right? Ultimately, you have a situation though that where I mean, we do live in ease, relative ease in the United States at this point. Yeah. But yeah. that doesn't mean that things can't suddenly change. I mean, we all remember the summer of 2020. <laughs> but I mean, when things do suddenly change, you need to have that dynamic already set up. Just knowing what are you going to do? Who's going to be responsible for what? I mean, even if you're not subscribing to traditional gender roles or whatever, you do have to decide which of you is going to do which job or well, which of you is going to take care of which thing. The kids have to be nurtured. Who's going to be yeah. the prominent nurturer? The kids have to be fed. Who's going to be the one to always make sure they're fed? I mean, gosh, all the way down to who's going to be the one to shut out the lights and lock up the doors at night? Because, you know, you can't just go along and think that somebody else has got this. you got to know yeah. who's going to do it so that you can be sure it's done. Well, Tina, what would you say to other women who, 
disagree with this line of thinking that males or the men in the relationship should should be the primary provider? Um, I don't necessarily. Okay, so we may differ here on on some of our definition here. So Nick believes that uh, a man should view this as his responsibility. Right. However, I don't think that has to be the dynamic in the family. I think that um, the man viewing that as his responsibility and taking ownership of that is yeah. one thing, but a woman can provide as much as she wants to the family as well. I don't think a man should hold her back sure. from that. Well, and so um, I do, I I think that sometimes we get into the weeds and people, I, I think sometimes women really gatekeep this whole idea of mm-hmm. masculinity and femininity and they kind of view one as completely bad and one as completely wrong. And when it comes down to it, you've got bad behaviors that women are prone to and you've got bad behaviors that men are prone to. Um, but then you have strengths and weaknesses as well. Yeah. And so if you are so married to the idea of not allowing a man to be masculine, you are you are emasculating him and getting rid of some of the biggest strengths he has. So if if the you've got you're basically a team when you're when you're together and if you're not going to let the other person do what it is that they're strong at then that's to the detriment of your family. Yeah. You have to get over yourself. Basically, um, you know, be logical about this. Don't be so, I mean, I feel like some some feminists have really destroyed some things for women because, yeah. I mean, it is, there is nothing, I cannot even imagine being attracted to a man who uh, doesn't view things the way Nick views them. I, because... I just look at that and go, well, gee, what use are you then? You know, I I I mean, if a woman (laughs) seriously does not, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I I think it's fascinating when you look at all these surveys to include surveys of liberal women who say that they're, they're not attracted to the sort of man that they publicly say that they want. So they're, they're, they're not attracted to the, you know, kind of weaker, more effeminate uh, man. They, they, want a man that can be decisive. They want a man that can provide leadership. They want a man that they feel safe with. They want, and, and there's nothing wrong with any of these traits, but somewhere along the line, this whole attitude became like, well, these are all just purely social constructs. Well, because as some, <laughs> some of those traits also come with the baggage of those traits yeah. because the good and the bad come with those traits. And if the guy has not worked himself into a discipline regarding those traits and actually worked on it, I mean, there is, there are stereotypes for a reason. And I mean, you know, when there's a guy that does these videos on, uh, what is it like Instagram reels or oh, whatever. Yeah. And he's like, expert marriage, you know, if you no, not him, <laughs> uh, the other I guy, he guy. goes, when your back really hurts, don't go to the chiropractor. Just complain about it constantly. Be a man. Yeah. And oh, yeah. So work, work, work until you're dead and then do another hour because it's time and a half. <laughs> be a be man. A man. <laughs> and, and so it's, there are these stereotypes for a reason because pride is a thing um, with men sometimes and they don't want to go to the doctor or they don't want to ask for directions. And there are, there are some pretty stereotypical things and stereotypes exist because those things are so prominent. And so I do think that there, there is work to be done in that area. And I think they really do a disservice saying, oh, well, all masculinity is toxic. No, there's masculinity 
And then there are toxic counterparts to that masculinity, just like there is femininity and there are toxic counterparts to that femininity. I do think they still belong in the same subset. Well, but, but again, so I, cause I want to clarify this point based on the question you asked on the provision side. Again, I'm not saying the, the, the woman can't be, you know, can't provide more from an economic yeah. standpoint. I, I also think it's problematic when we look at provision economically purely from the sense of who gets the paycheck. Because I can tell you right now, like in our marriage, we, we talked about this before we got married. And I said, look, I see my responsibility as being the primary provider. Yeah. I did not say, and therefore you're not allowed to provide more than I am you right. know, at a job or something. No, that's not the case. What I, what I was letting her know is, is that I'm assuming this responsibility, right? That's That's not to detract from what you want to do or can do or anything else. But we now both know what our mindset is. So there's no pointing fingers on who's responsible for what when we need to get the bills paid, right? And and we set up our our lives economically to be able to to be maintained by your income alone. Because if you start expanding your lifestyle to where you both have to be working, that's when when it becomes difficult. We made the decision at 18. That the goal was, and this was based off of both of our uh, like objectives as a as a you know couple, was she said, she goes, I would like to work when I have kids. I don't want to have to. Yeah. It was like okay, that's my job, right? That's my role. I got to make our income and enough to where when we start having kids, um, Tina doesn't have to worry about bringing in another income. To be fair, I when he says I would like to work, that would be outside the home making I'm a paycheck. About, I'm about right. to get to this point. About to, now that doesn't mean that all of a sudden Tina saw her role as the family is like, oh, okay, cool. We have kids now. Bonbon time. Right? Like that so was poppers and bonbon. Right? It was, that wasn't it. Like she, I mean, when, when you talk about what a homemaker is, some people have this image of, I, I mean, I, I don't know what their image is. I know that a lot of it is, it's kind of like the old 1950s and 60s sitcoms and whatnot. But if, if you look at the way Tina looked at managing the home, was um, that wasn't just a, a, for her, that wasn't just, you know, meals or cooking. Right. Or like we homeschool our three kids that predominantly yeah. fell on Tina. When we had to like do some improvements to the house, like for instance, we had a big water issue at our place where we needed this massive filter. Well, that's going to be $5,000. Tina was like, I can figure this out on YouTube. And she did and installed it herself. So, Tina made this table. Yeah, Tina made this table. She assembled so, this table from so scratch. She, she's looked at all of this as like, I, I, I manage it. So, and we've done this where we've like, <laughs> we've, we finished our basement. Uh, I mean, a significant portion of that was Tina when we, you know, were, um, you know, moving stuff around in our house. And we wanted this dining room to actually be this over here. So the, the point was, is that again, let's keep in mind what provision is, right? You know, again, what I'm talking about for the man, what does it mean to be a man? Yeah. I would say it is a core, if, if you are relying on someone else to provide for you, mm-hmm. whether as an individual or married, I, I don't, I think that, <laughs> I do not think that is a masculine trait. Um, and, and the other thing that you always have to think about is, look, right now, you know, like especially in a place like the United States, there's a lot of abundance. There's a lot of security, generally speaking, relative to the rest of the world, relative to world history. You don't get to then say, I don't have to worry about this anymore. Right. Again, you can delegate authority. You can't delegate responsibility. So assume it is your responsibility. And that leads me to my third point. We're ready for my third yeah, point. This is Andrew Tate, dude. He's been causing a lot of problems. So Andrew Tate, if you've never seen Andrew Tate, um, then you're probably not going to, at least for a little while, because he got 
literally canceled from everything. I mean, everybody kicked this guy off. It and sounded like it was like a mass coordinated oh, effort. It was like it everybody. Was very short. Everybody time got frame. rid of him overnight. Yeah. And and the the statement was is because he made a bunch of highly misogynist comments, yeah. which I look at it with a healthy level of skepticism because like. The Ayatollah Khomeini is on Twitter. I was gonna say the Taliban have Twitter right, accounts. The Taliban has Twitter accounts. They haven't been, you know, cut from every single social media. But Andrew Tate has. So clearly, somebody sees this guy as a threat. Now, let me just come off and right off and say, there's a lot of stuff Andrew Tate says that I do not agree with. But at he all. did actually say some really misogynist. Yeah, he, things. he did. Yeah. He did say some misogynist stuff. He, but he, that doesn't mean he should have been silenced. He he can talk. We have freedom of speech in this country. Well, a lot of the other things that he was saying, because he gained like popularity, I mean, almost overnight. Within I mean, a six-month Within period. a six-month period, he was just dominant on social media platforms. And if you look at, a, a, you know, if you look at some of the stuff he was saying, a lot of it was about, a lot of it was messages to men. It was, you know, buck up, do your job, stop making excuses. If you're depressed, get off the couch and go to the gym. Yeah, go do something. Don't sit there and take another pill. Um, and a lot of people, you're not a doctor, you're not qualified to say this. A lot of the areas where he got, um, where he said some stuff that I didn't agree with had to do with kind of the nature of relationships. Yeah. Now, he, he would say he would say stuff to women that got him really upset because he brought up once, you know, these women were saying what they expected, you know, out of their man. Man better do this, man better do this, man. And he said, oh, okay, great. And what are you bringing to the table? Are you doing this? Are you doing this? Are you doing this? And it was, they were kind of stunned. Like, how dare you ask me that? And uh, on one side of it, you could look at it and say, okay, was he being misogynist? On the other side, you could look at it and say, or was he just saying that if you're going to expect this out of one side of yeah. the relationship, then what is, what do they get to expect? I've been saying that forever. I, it's yeah. always amazing to me when women are like, "I want a man that does this and that, and he's got to be perfect." You know, just he he's got to be the man that I deserve. I deserve this and that. It's like, what makes you think you deserve that? You know. <laughs> um, so what makes you think that you deserve all of those things? And can he make those same demands on you? Yeah. And so it's like, are you the type of woman that a man of that caliber wants? Mm -hmm. And if you're not, and you want that man, you better do some work. Yeah. I well, think the uh, expectations game on both ends of the spectrum is a, a larger reason why. Um, I, I, I was looking at a statistic recently that had like the number, like the marriage rate in the U.S. has just like fallen off a cliff in the last yeah. like three or four years. And um and, and also there's other polling too that shows like people go on like less dates than they used to. Yeah. Like, like the, the, the different genders are just spending less time with each other. Well, and, um, and I think there's a lot of reasons. We're for in two that. different bubbles, so to speak. Yeah. And, and we're separating and, and, and again, you, you might want to touch on that. You might not, that might be a topic well, for another I, day. I, I'll but. tell you, I'll tell you, I think some of it too for, I think some of it too for men is porn. Oh yeah. Um, I, I think, I think some of it is once you start, once you start treating sex as if it's nothing more than a, an, an aspect of physical gratification, and here's this method of getting... Scratching it, the itch. Yeah, in some form of that physical gratification without any effort. Yeah. Um, and you can't tell me that's not going to have negative attributes. What is it on, on the does. side of, of women then, too? I, some, of it's I, I the same, some of it's the same thing. Some of it's also, I think, feminism has... have. Feminism, I think, in some ways, and again, I don't want to speak too broadly here because there's different waves of feminism right now, but I would say the latest trends within feminism have taught women to despise the very sorts of men that they would actually be. I mean, they're, they're the people that came up with the whole toxic masculinity. Yeah, they, it, term it's, and... it's like, oh, you don't want to, you know, these attributes are bad and, and you shouldn't like them and whatnot. And when you have a lot of young women that have grown up immersed in this, and, you know, Tina would, you know, you know, 
be able to speak to this probably better than I would. But when you have women that grew up immersed in this and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm, I'm not supposed to like that. There's almost, I would imagine, there's almost this feeling of guilt when you are attracted to something. Not to mention the fact that I don't think it actually, when, when you've misdiagnosed the problem, you create more problems. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what's been done. But And, and this kind of goes to the third point here, right? So the first point was a man's got to protect, a man's got to provide. The other one that I think is really important that doesn't get emphasized enough, and this is where I really break with Andrew Tate, yeah. uh, there's a lot of areas, but that's a major one, is fidelity. It's faithfulness. And this is one where I would say that the, the, the most accurate critique of, I would call it fake masculinity, but predominant in many circles, is that if, you're, if you can protect and you provide, you don't got to be faithful. Because men are just that way, man. Right? You would men call are, it high men value. Are, men are visual. You know, it's it's you know, look, it doesn't and and you know, people will say this. Oh well, a man can do this, and he can separate the emotional from the physical, and then you know he can still love his wife. Just and you see the movies portray this, everything else, garbage, absolute garbage. Being faithful to your God, your wife, your family. This is the core of what it's supposed to mean to be masculine, to be a genuine man. Because a man is someone that can be relied upon. When they give their word, they keep it. And keeping your word doesn't just mean, hey, I promised I was going to be there Tuesday to help you move. One of the most important promises you ever make in this world is when you stand across from the woman you're going to marry and you say, I do, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do we part. Forsaking all others. Forsaking all others. And that doesn't just mean the, the physical manifestation of that. That means emotionally you are closed off. There, there is a certain emotional connection. There's a physical and emotional connection that belongs to her and her alone. And nobody else gets it. They don't even get a taste of it. Right? It's hers. And she has to be secure in that. And that's not, and that's not just morally correct. I, I would tell young men out there, if you're looking for a healthy marriage... If you're looking for your marriage to be everything it can be, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you will set the tone for fidelity. You will set the tone. If, if you are someone, if she can feel absolutely secure in your love for her, your commitment to her, that will manifest itself in a positive way across a whole other spectrum of, of things. But that fidelity is absolutely critical. And men giving themselves a pass on the fidelity is a huge part of the problem yeah. that we see. Well, I wanted to bring one thing up on that. Um, and so Andrew Tate's big thing is that he thinks that men can cheat, but women can't because of the emotional component. But let me tell you this. There's a book called uh, Love and Respect, and it goes through exhaustively. Basically, the gist of it is a man only feels loved when he's respected. Women don't necessarily need to feel all that respected to feel loved. I, I would say that that's important to women as well. However, men cannot feel loved. They literally cannot feel loved unless they're also respected. And there is nothing that will destroy a woman's respect for you more than a man who can't, can't be faithful or a man who has an issue with looking at things he shouldn't look at on the on the internet. Literally a woman cannot respect you. Therefore, you can't feel loved by her anymore because she doesn't respect you. And so this idea that oh a man can do this and it's okay, but it's like no no no, you're ignoring the fact 
that you're hardwired to need respect. And if you need respect, you better do respectable things. Yeah. And don't destroy your credibility in that area. And uh, so I, I definitely disagree with him on that. I, I think that the idea that a man can disconnect himself emotionally completely and and go scratch his itch somewhere else and and come back that's not a feature it's a bug that is mm. a broken piece that is the toxic side yeah. of of that it is it is something that should not be nurtured and because i would i would submit that there's a reason why a man might be able to do that, and it's not because something good happened to him. It's yeah. because something bad happened. No, I so. think Tina, when Tina first brought that point up, I, I thought it was really profound because I, I had never heard it put that way before, right? Because there's such this, there's such this automatic impulse <clears throat> within men to say, "Oh, boys will be boys." There's certain thing that you know just men do, or or these are these are you know struggles more for men. And then <clears throat> the more you say that, the more you, the more you accept like allowances, yeah, indulgences, right? Like, oh, okay, well, you know, hey, they're doing all these other things good, but this is okay. And what the reason why the fidelity component of masculinity is so essential is because it completely undermines everything. It is more important even than protection and provision. Now, that doesn't mean protection and provision aren't, you know, really important. They are. But again, a lot of men have this idea that if I protect and provide, well, then the fidelity point is, you know, I'm being faithful because I'm protecting and providing. No, 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 no. <laughs> More is required. Yeah. More is required. And, and it's interesting because from a biblical perspective, um, when they talk about the whole love and respect, I know, I know some people, to include Christians, that take real issue with that idea. Because that what the verse says is that men love your uh, wives as Christ loved the church yeah. and gave his life yeah. for it. And then uh, women respect your husbands. And, and it's this idea that, and it's, again, it's always fascinating how psychology later on ends up validating things that were said, you know, 2000 years sure. ago or, or more than that. It's this idea that when, when you ask men, um, would you rather be loved or respected? It's something like 80% of men will say respected. And then like 15% of them will say, I don't know what's the difference. <laughs> right. And yeah. then it's like a two or 3% that say loved. Um, <clears throat> when you ask women that question, it, it's, like reversed, um, there, there, there's a much higher percentage saying, "Why well, I'd rather be I'd rather be loved." Now, everybody, men and women, want to be both loved and respected. Oh man, so, you're going. You know, uh, you, you know where I've heard this line before. <laughs> Machiavelli's The Prince. Okay, where he says, "Is it better to be loved or respected?" And he's like, "Well, ideally, it's it's yeah, both." Be both but, but if I got to take one, I'd rather. He said feared. He said feared. Actually, but, he said but, feared. But fear and really, respect are not the same not thing. Not the guys. same thing. So love, love and respect. So everybody wants both. The reason why the reason why I believe there's this differentiation in the way that Scripture talks about it is because it's an understanding of the way that men look at love and respect. Yeah. Um, and and wow. again. This also goes to where you were saying before on leadership. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of a lot of women have been taught to believe that, you know, within especially within a marriage, right? Nobody's the leader. You're both the leader. It's a co-partnership. And and I had somebody ask me about this once. I said, Well, let me ask you a question. When you said till death do us part, did you mean it? She said, Yeah. I said, Okay, what happens if you disagree? Does the co-partnership dissolve? Like, what do you do? What do you do when you can't agree on a particular course of action? Because if you're going to spend... Well, a lot of people divorce when they, they divorce. can. They divorce. Because if you spend 60 years for some, with somebody, you're going to have times where you disagree. 
You're going to have times when you disagree. On, now, hopefully, you've had enough of good you know, discussion beforehand on what the expectations are to where that does. You don't have major disagreements. But you're going to have some disagreements that are significant, yeah. if not fundamental. What do you do? And, and again, what did part they of, say when you asked that question? They, they said, I, I don't know. I said, that's why I said, that's why leadership is important. That's why men should provide leadership as husbands and fathers. That's why it should be a masculine trait. It's, it's also it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that women can't provide leadership. It means right. that a man has to assume like it, so much of this stuff is not if, if I say that a man has to protect, it doesn't mean that a woman can't. If I say a man has to provide, it doesn't mean that a woman can't. If I say a man has to be faithful, it doesn't mean a woman can't. If I say a man has to be a leader, it doesn't mean a woman can't. What I'm saying is that as a man, you have to assume these things. You have to assume responsibility for each one of them, and then you have to make sure that the attributes which are necessary in order to make sure they take place are developed in a way to where they're going to take place properly in the way it was intended, in a way that is pure and is true and is noble. That's what's so critical here. And, and the critical function of leadership, again, within the Christian worldview, is the idea of servant leadership. Because leadership can be tyrannical or it can be servant-based. And servant-based says, I may have to take responsibility for making the decision when we can't agree, but I do so with your best interest, not necessarily mine. I and think that's... And what that means is, is again, it, it's when it comes down, it's when it comes down to those unanticipated things where my life for yours, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mean, obviously, you want your interests to align when you're making these decisions. But your, your first responsibility as a man is the people you are responsible for protecting for, their lives is more important than your own. And you have to have that mindset. Yeah. I think the disconnect that you have in secular society, though, is there is a fundamental distrust of giving somebody leadership in a relationship because they don't trust the idea that that person's decisions will be selfless. Okay. Because there is the idea that um, I'm going to make this decision because I just want it. Can I just say that is an incredibly hypocritical take, if that's true. Because the same people that say what Tina just said will go out there and elect politicians who they don't know and they have no reason to trust and they should have no reason to believe has their best interest at heart. And yet they somehow think all of my problems will be solved. Not just my problems, all of society's problems will be solved if we just elect more Democrats. Well, uh, here's the thing. Or Republicans. uh, No, it's mostly on the left. (laughs) In a relationship. It's mostly on the left. In a relationship sense. A lot of it is born of, I think, the hookup culture where it's the let me just use people and discard people to scratch the itch. It's it's being involved in that weird culture where you just go out and you find some random person and, and this is what people do now. Yeah. And um, and so because of that, you've already established the relationship without trust. There is no trust there. There is no uh, safety there and and I think as a woman you shouldn't you shouldn't just feel safe as far as your uh, physical safety goes you should also feel completely safe emotionally and be able to just know that you're you're connected safety is very important as far as relationship safety security and um and emotional and and also knowing that this person this person genuinely is putting your desires first. And there's a certain amount of responsibility then, like for me personally, um, because I know that Nick will 
do whatever it is that is best for our family to his own detriment, I have to be really careful of the demands I make on on um, the future. So if I say I want I want X, Y, or Z, Nick's instinct is going to be to make that happen for me. Well, I better not do that willy-nilly. I better not use that card, the wife card, willy-nilly and go, oh, I don't want you to go on this thing or whatever this is, this trip or whatever it might be because, you know, I'm your wife and I say so. Because he will actually go, if you really need me to stay, I'll stay. I won't go. And I mean, having been a military wife and having him deploy and things like that, um, I knew I came first, but there were certain demands I knew I could not make of him and still have him be who he is. You know, he's, he's the type of man he is, and I'm attracted to that for a reason. So my demands on him or, or my requirements of him better not go counterintuitive to that. It's because then it just destroys what he what he is and and what it is I'm attracted to. So, yeah. it, if that makes sense, hopefully well, it does. Well, and just going, go, let me go back to the first point real quick. That's on the protection side too. I forgot to mention this before. The protection that you're responsible for a man is not just physical. Um, you you are you are you bear some responsibility for the emotional and, and spiritual protection as well of of yourself and of your family. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that's an, that's an important component, but those, those are the three that I really hold up as you got to be able to protect, you got to be able to provide, and you got to be, you got to be faithful. All right. Here's my question. Yeah. So y'all obviously got married at 18, 19. No, 19 and 20. 19 and 20. Yeah. Anyway, um, how much of this did y'all know at that point? Actually quite a bit. All of it. We I both know, came from, we, so my my parents were divorced when I was very young, and my mom had remarried. Um, and Nick's parents had divorced when he was very young and remarried, and then and and more divorces following and things of that nature. So neither of us came from good, strong, healthy marriage relationship being modeled for us. It wasn't modeled for us, but we knew what we wanted to do, and we knew we didn't yeah. want a situation where we parted ways. Um, and so we needed, there was a lot of communication that had to be done first early. And I'd, I'm still kind of shocked that at 19 and 20, or actually it was at, at that time, it would have been like 18. 18 and 19, that we had all of these discussions already and knew like, here's what yeah. our goal is going to be. And here's what I expect of you. And here's well, what you expect of me. And, and, and let me just, let me just say like, d despite the fact that, you know, again, my parents got divorced and went through all that. And when I still had a great relationship and a great deal of respect for my mother and father, and both of them talked to me about, you know, the different roles and responsibilities. And, and even though, you know, they weren't able to, you know, perfectly execute those within their marriage, the, the one of the wonderful things about one of the wonderful things that came out of what would otherwise be a tragic situation is that neither my mother or my father rejected the morals Mm -hmm. or our faith or anything like that because of what happened in their situation. They, they didn't let it, they didn't let them, they didn't allow those circumstances to make them jaded toward the things that they believed were true. And so I still got raised with those values. Yeah. And, and, and they would, they would both look at it. Like my dad would look at me like, Nick, this is what I did wrong. Mm. Right. And, and, and so, the fact that they were being, they were willing to be open, not just with their successes, but with how, failures. How old that. were you when he, when he said something like that? When I was old enough to understand, right? I was in my teenage years. 
but it was something where, you know, my, my dad really took responsibility for things that happened in that, that first marriage. And, and my mom never downplayed my dad. Wow. Never disrespected my father, never tried to use the kids against him, nothing like that. It was, you will respect your father and his, you will respect your mother. Um, so I still got to see good values modeled, um, even though it wasn't within the ideal situation of, of the marriage. And, and look, you look back later, it's like, look, I have, I have seven brothers and sisters, you know, now half brothers and sisters. And so, you know, look, God can turn anything for good. Um, but th the point is, is that, again, and the whole purpose of this podcast on, on trying to describe, you know, what a man is, um, I, I was very blessed that I think both my father and my mother modeled things and, and lifted up certain masculine traits um, that, that really helped me with respect to developing kind of my worldview on this. Um, but, but also and this is, this is kind of the, I guess the, we'll put the, we'll put the bow on it here. Um, there's, there's this claim going around that, and, and I've had people tell me this before, like I'll criticize something Stacey Abrams did or something Nancy Pelosi did. And like in, in some, some leftist will immediately come on there, not liberal leftist will immediately come on there and be like, why are you afraid of strong women? I'm like, <laughs> oh, let me tell you something, Haas. And it's usually men that do it. it it's usually like leftist men that come on. Why are you afraid of strong women? Like, you know, <laughs> the fact that when you criticize a, a, a woman in a position of power for doing something that you fundamentally disagree on and you explain why you disagree with it and they automatically assume that tells me a lot more about them than it does me because I was raised by a strong woman. I married a very strong woman. I, I mean, my whole life has been surrounded by strong women. Right. Because if you're raised to be a strong man, you're going to be attracted to strong women. You're not intimidated by them. You're looking for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because a strong man is not intimidated by a strong woman. They find it desirable. They find it attractive. And I've noticed that strong women find strong men attractive. Yeah. Well, it's funny, a lot of those same trolls uh, that will be like, what do you have a problem with strong women? If I come in there and I say anything defending Nick or if I if I make a comment talking about, you know, the same topic in some way, they'll go, oh, I see you need to go defend little Nikki. And it's just insane. <laughs> it, it, they're, they're, well, it, but again, that's that's what you can expect. Yeah. From a contrad a fundamentally flawed and contradictory yeah. worldview that can't make up its mind on what it believes. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right, last question to yeah. wrap us up here. Uh, you know, let's say some of our listeners didn't get to grow up with a father figure or a mother figure that instilled the same things in you. Um, what should they do in that situation if they're looking for wisdom, guidance, ways to handle future experiences? What would you say to that? Find trusted mentors. Um, one, one of the things, we have a good friend of ours, um, Jim Charlton. He coached football. And um, and then actually our, our oldest daughter's uh, boyfriend, Nick, he did a he did a thing too. And and one of the things that they found kind of heartbreaking is the amount of young men that were growing up in an environment where they had no positive male role model in the home. Mm -hmm. And they were, the, the bottom line is a young man is going to learn life's lessons one way or another. They're either going to have really good teachers and have really, really bad ones. And they saw this as a crisis. But they also saw themselves as having the ability to intervene and be able to provide something positive for these young men in order to try to equip them 
with the necessary skills and understanding that they needed, that the things they were being told about like their, their kind of that inherent um, aggressiveness or competitiveness or, or physicality, these were somehow wrong. They stepped in and said, no, no, it's not wrong. It's as Christians, it's morally neutral. You can make it good or you can make it bad. And so through, through coaching within that environment, Jim was able to have an impact on kids that will right. look back on their coaches and say, you know what? I didn't have a dad, but I had a, I had a really good coach. Or I didn't have a dad, but I had a really good pastor. I had a really good counselor. I had a really good teacher. But one, one of the things that's so important, I think, for men in general is when you see other young, young men in a situation where um, they are being led astray or they don't have anybody that's providing that sort of influence, well, then you step in and you help provide it. And, and there's a number of ways to do that. But we, we, if we ignore it, then we can be frustrated by the results, but we better be equally frustrated with ourselves. Yeah. So I, I would say, look, if, if you're a young man and you're seeking out that mentorship, a, a lot of times, you know, again, it's the first thing that you need to know is, okay, what's true? And again, I, I was lucky because I think Scripture laid out a pretty good plan for what, what masculinity was supposed to be and what my responsibilities were. And then I had people in my life that would reinforce that. Uh, but understanding those traits and then finding people that you think model those traits well. Um, and, and again, a lot of times it's a coach. A lot of times it's a, it's a pastor. A lot of times it's a teacher, um, it, you know, someone like that. But looking out for that um, is important. But I would say even more so, it's a little bit irresponsible to say that it's, it's, on, the, it's on the young man that doesn't have any of that provided to them to go find it. Yeah, um, It's on us to recognize it and then be there and then be able to provide mentorship to the to the degree that we can and is appropriate. There, I will say there's a lot of moms out there who are trying to do this on their own, and they're desperately trying to take care of both sides of this. And so there might be women that are listening to this going, well, I don't know what to do. Like, what can I do from my position um, for my boy? I, I need to be able to teach him well. And I will say um, Nick predominantly lived with his mother throughout uh, his life. He, he visited his father in the summer times. A lot of the values that he got were imparted to him from his mom. So I will say just if, if you're a single mom, I mean, Nick's mom was a single mom too. You can do it. I think, I think there's this idea though, that, um, I've got to be mom and dad or, or what it's not that it's that you've just, you've got to provide the opportunities for your young man to become a young man. And I, I remember having a, dis, a talk with Luke when he was little. Um, and it was, it was one of those tough talks because he had done the wrong thing on something. And Nick was gone. He was, uh, I can't remember where he was. It was for work, probably deployed or something. Um, and I talked to Luke and I said, Luke, you know, I, I basically, do you want to be an honorable man like daddy? And he's, of course, he wants to be like daddy. He loves daddy and he admires him. And I said, well, you don't become an honorable man, a, a man like that, just suddenly. That doesn't happen suddenly. It's a series of decisions, small decisions that you make throughout your life. So you have to decide in every situation, even if it's really small, am I going to do the right thing or am I going to do the wrong thing? And after you've made all of these good decisions and made the right choice, 
that's when suddenly you realize that you've become that honorable man. But you don't just suddenly decide it and now you are it. You have to make decisions to become that. So that's all. I think that was a great way to end. I think so as well. <laughs> I think so as well. Well, listen, if you uh, if you got any value out about this, if you disagree with us, please let us know in the comments. Also consider joining our volley chat where we're able to have a little bit more in-depth discussions on the topics that we have here on making the argument. But other than that, please go out there, like our social media, share our content, leave us more comments, and we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.